97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard. Hope you're all having a tremendous day. Utah hitting the road. They've got a big one as they, or excuse me, Utah at home, excuse me, as they get set for a big one against Arizona State. Trevor Allen, KSL Sports, joining us on the Smart Rain guest line. Kind enough to join us. Trevor, how you doing? Hey, Trevor. Guys, I'm doing great. How about you? Doing well. So this is a huge, huge game for both these teams as uh, whoever wins this game will certainly have an inside track to the South Division. Do you look at this? I mean, we're still you know, near the midway point of the season, but do you feel like there's a lot of pressure on both these teams coming into this game? Absolutely there is um, because, as you guys know, ne- neither team has lost in conference play so far. ASU has three wins. Uh, Utah has two. But, uh, you know, when, when it comes down to it, USC is, is probably out of the race. The Bruins are probably still in it because um, they're 2-1. and one. But then you have Colorado and, and, uh, and the Wildcats are both, you know, out of it as well. I mean, if it ends up coming down to it to where both the, the Sun Devils and Utes are, are tied um, at the end of the regular season, the, the head-to-head uh, matchup, whoever wins that, ends up winning the uh, tiebreaker and gets to go to Las Vegas to play for a, 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 a Pac-12 championship. But, you know, for Utah to have, have this game at home is huge. But this, this Sun Devils team is no, no joke at all. Mm-hmm. It's a good team. Uh, two injuries I'm really worried about. I don't know if you have any insight on it or if, if you have any gut feeling on it. But Nephi Sewell and Jaron Kump went down last week against USC. I know Sewell came back, if I, if I remember right, Trevor. But do you have any insight or any thoughts on those two? Yeah, I mean, we weren't able to see him at a at a practice this week, but that you know, a lot of it was was because they were already all coming off the field when when we were allowed to go on onto the practice field to do interviews. But uh, you know, Kyle, Kyle Whittingham said there isn't any any season-ending injuries, which is a really good sign. Um, which which means Jaron Kump uh, could could still play this year, and then with, with Nephi coming back in, I think was was really was really crucial to have him come back in and it means that he's probably doing better than we all thought because it, it, it didn't look good when, when he went down early in that game against SC. Um, but, Hans, as, as, you, as you know, Utah is starting to get a little bit more, more depth up front on the offensive line. Right now they're probably about six or seven guys deep right now, but as, as you know, Utah likes to go about ten. So having Jaron Kump in the lineup would definitely be, be very vital for Utah if they want to be able to keep Cam rising um, without getting sacked. Trevor Allen joining us for, uh, from kslsports.com on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that those 2022 planning budgets for most businesses are coming up soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion, and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. So you're, and you were down in the Coliseum. You watched that game against USC. Is your opinion of Utah different uh, and your expectations maybe a little higher for this team after what you saw them do against USC last week? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, going 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 into the year, I thought that they could win the the uh, Pac-12 South potentially a, a, a Pac-12 championship, and then they end up playing decent against Weber State. I mean, Jay has a great program, but again, it is it is Weber State, and and Utah's just on another level. And then they go down to Provo and just get manhandled up front in the uh, in the uh, trenches. Kyle Whittingham has even said he he would bet his house that going into that game that that they wouldn't get. Um, beat up by by BYU on, on their D line, and you know that that exactly is what happened. And then San Diego State 
things were looking better. Um, but I think a lot of it was just that the uh, problems up front on the O line. Um, Charlie Brewer is, you know, a, a talented quarterback. I don't want to take anything away from him, but I think the reason why there was a change is that he he seemed to be a quarterback who could only thrive when you have a really good O line and to where he doesn't have to scramble out of the pocket. And Cam Rising came in that San Diego State game and really just, you know, was stiff-arming guys. He was uh, trying to do everything possible to get the ball down downfield, and they were able to make a comeback, but obviously fell short in overtime. But And then uh, in that Washington State game, I mean, the fact that you had still fumbled the ball seven times and then still win the game and really dropped the ball ten times. And then uh, in that, in that uh, game uh, against the Trojans at the Coliseum, I just felt like everything was clicking they were able to get a rhythm going. I mean, after that, you know, first quarter. But really, when that when that uh, flea, flea flicker happened, late in the uh, second quarter, where uh, Cam Rising actually called it and you know actually misread his his uh, armband, um, that was a huge boost, and it ended up you know leading to a really big victory in the Coliseum. Where I, I just feel like now Utah finally has that that balanced attack, and they also have their their five guys up front. Um, given hopefully that uh, Jaron Kump is healthy. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that it's kind of been a up-and-down roller coaster because I wasn't so high on them after their loss to San Diego State. But now that they've started to ride the ship a little bit, I'm definitely uh, seeing that, that there is a chance for them to still win the Pac-12. Speaking of a roller coaster, I'll bet you Kyle Whittingham has been on the coaster of his life. I mean, not just the games that he's won and lost, but the emotions that he's been through. You've now seen him going into the USC game kind of with the unknown and now you've seen him come out of the USC game and you've been able to see his face and hear his voice what is his countenance and emotion like this week as compared to last week and how do you feel like he's doing mentally with with what he's dealing with man i'm going to be honest with you i you know it's it's hard to really tell where he's at mentally because he really keeps things close close to the vest and he kind of puts on you know, his, his media face when talking to us, but you can just tell whenever you lose two of your players and, and hands, you know, this point playing the game, those, those coaches are like father figures to you. And for him to lose two, basically two of his sons in the last year, tragically, I mean, it's got to take a toll on him. And for, for him to, I mean, it was, it it was crazy in that, in that uh, uh, presser going into the uh, game uh, against the Trojans, we ended up spending a lot of time talking about Aaron Lowe. And he, you know, he just seemed just so wiped out, so drained, so so hurt. And then, in, and then after the game, after they won, there was such a huge smile on his face that, you know, it was just something he knew this, this program needed. But um, I, I know that Kyle's towards the end of, end of his career, but, I mean, I wouldn't throw out the, any kind of possibility of this these tragedies taking a toll on him potentially calling it quits earlier trevor allen joining us from kslsports.com right here on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network so give me your keys what do you want to see in this game what do you need to see from the university of utah to go up and uh, and get a win against frankly uh you know arguably one of the best teams that they face this year i mean First off, they're going to have to slow down Jane Daniels. Um, he he hasn't really thrown the ball much. He only has four touchdowns, but he also has three three picks. So if you can force him to kind of throw throw downfield and really try to test Utah's secondary, 
that would be what I would try to do. But try and also get him to stay in that pocket because he, he's second on the team with, with 369 rushing yards and, and three touchdowns on the ground. But then, you know, you, you also got to keep in mind the, the balanced attack as far as how he's throw, throwing the ball to his targets. I mean, they have, they have three guys that have over 200 yards receiving. Um, so that would be number one. Number two, I mean, it, it ends up going without saying, so I'm not going to have this as another, uh, as another key, but you, you, can't, you can't turn the ball over. The fact that the Utah put up 42 points and didn't turn the ball over once against the Trojans last week was massive and a huge, and a, a huge boost to this offense and as far as giving them confidence to go into this game because this, uh, so this, this defense they're going to be facing – Coming up on on Saturday, it's nothing compared to what they ended up seeing last week. It's a much improved defense. Herm, Herm Edwards has done a phenomenal job being able to recruit some really talented players that have 21 sacks, eight picks, um, in in just you know the the short time this year. So you've got to be able to take take care of the ball, but then also just just play with that that a chip chip on your shoulder. Play with that that same emotion. You had going in into the SC game because I know a lot of the guys' mindsets have changed now. Now that they're not not just playing for Ty Jordan, but also for Aaron Lowe. My good friend and the man they call Frank Dolce Deleche yesterday on the Utah preview show said that he's not so sure that the running back room and running back order is a hundred percent sealed up and in cement. What do you expect to see from running back rotations coming up tomorrow against Arizona State? Go hands. It's it's funny that you ask that because it seems like every single week it's always a different guy, right? You know, you go in and it's it's Tavion Thomas against Weaver State. It's it's Bernard against BYU. It's uh, Pledger against Washington State. Um, and then and then you know Thomas against the the uh, Trojans. I mean, it's crazy that how how. You know, different these these player styles are, but how it you you just kind of got to go go through the whole running back room to figure out who's got the high end and probably going into this game it's probably gonna be Tavion Thomas now that hopefully he, he's figured out how to how to keep the ball in his hands and not put it on the deck. I I, I really think it's gonna be him and then Bernard I think is gonna be right there behind him with T.J. Pledger and um, I, I think it's just whoever the whoever has the hot hand. Kyle Whittingham mentioned that that that's kind of where they're at, but. Um, as far as starting out the game, you kind of got to see what, what what Thomas can give you, especially with a really stout D line from from ASU. I mean, that I think that's the interesting point because Tavian Thomas had a really great performance, didn't put the ball on the ground, but Kyle Whittingham's not just handing him the job and saying, "All right, you had one good game, let's go." I mean, I think that this is a this is a process where he really, after what we saw earlier in the year, he's really making Tavian Thomas earn his trust back. Yeah, absolutely, and that's and that's what Kyle said is that you know the fact that he, he didn't put the ball on the the deck is a good thing, but it it, it actually kind of seems like and again I'm I'm just reading between the lines here that you end up putting the ball down, you know, fumble it that 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 kind of takes you two three maybe even four four steps back from from how much progress you're making compared to you only take one one step forward if you rush for 100 yards and a, you know a touchdown or two. So it's it's very critical, and and I I know Hans has talked about this before, where maybe you're you know preaching holding on to the ball too much to where it's it's really starting to get nerves for for, for these running backs. You can kind of tell, especially in that Washington State game. You know, Pledger had the ball; he was holding on to it with you know two hands and hovering over it, and you know everyone was just trying to hold on to the ball for dear life because 
you know, I I, I still have never seen a game like that where you where you fumbled the ball seven times. But you know, maybe they're they're preaching it too much. But if 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 that was kind of the you know starting point of not fumble the ball last week to keep that going throughout the rest of the season, then whatever whatever they they did after the after the Washington State game worked. Well, hey, we appreciate your time, Trevor. Great stuff. Enjoy the games coming up this weekend. Look forward to catching up with you again here soon. Thanks, Trevor. Sounds good, Scotty and Hans. Thank you, guys. Good stuff, man. Trevor Allen, KSLSports.com, right here on the Zone Sports Network. All right, Utah, Arizona State. Man, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, a big game. It's a tough one to really wrap your brain it's around. It's a big game. Think about how much Utah could redeem their entire season with a win. It would shake loose everything that happened in the non-conference games. It would just shake it all loose because now you're sitting 3-0. and You're sitting the top of the South Division. You've beat the best uh, teams in the South Division outside of yourself. And you're in full control. You're looking more powerful and ready for Oregon State and Stanford and that UCLA run, that, that stretch that we were just talking about. It would do so much. And on the flip side, if Arizona State comes in and moves you around a little bit, beat you up a little bit like they've been doing to teams, that could be devastating. Now, that could set the team back because then they're like, well, you know, now we feel like we've we've let ourselves down when we promised ourselves that we would play for something bigger this year. And it can play mind games with you. you could, a, a devastating loss could play mind games with them. So this Arizona State game, this is as fun as it gets for me. Big matchup, entertaining storylines. And I'm not saying that Cam Rising and this Utah team can't do it. They very much can. It's just going to be a tall task for them. This defensive backfield for Arizona State is so good. So physical. And your wide receivers are going to get tested. Uh, Britton Covey is going to get mugged like he always is, but against some really good competition. Yep. And they're going to get after Cam Rising, too. I mean, this is a defensive backfield where they can bring some pressure and man up on these guys and really force them to try to create something on their own. I'm hoping to see some creativity and ingenuity from Andy Ludwig. You're going to need it against Arizona State. Yeah. I don't think they can just come play straight up. I think they need some some wrinkles. I don't care if you run that H-back fly sweep 34 times. Do it. You know, have it five times. No, I'm just kidding. Five times with Keithy, ten times with Covey, five times with Tavian. You need to see it with Keithy. You need to at least. I know. You, even if you fake it to him, you still got to find. You still got to use it as part of your arsenal. That it's, he's too good of an athlete not to use it. And it works every time. It seems like it. I've never seen it get stopped when Keithy's running it. All right, Anson Scotty, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Frank Schwab's going to join us coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. Um, and uh, also, coming up a little bit later on the program, how would you spend a million dollars? Well, Donovan Mitchell kind of gave some details on how he spent his first million dollars. I'm curious to see how you'd spend yours. Well, it's different. If Now, in, the, in my 40s, I would spend a lot different than I would when I was 21, 22. But I, I'm going to ask you and get it in your mind now, not back then. Now. How I would spend it now? Yep. That'd be boring. That'd be boring radio. <laughs> Pay off my house. 
<laughs> set up college funds for my kids. Nothing fun? Oh, no, there'd be some fun. Remodel my house. Because I love where I live. Absolutely love the neighborhood, love everything about where I live. But that house needs a little TLC. What I thought was interesting is how Donovan spent his. Yeah. And how opposite it is from how I would spend mine. I've got some questions for you. Even now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got some questions for you on it. We'll, We'll play Donovan Mitchell the way he spent his first million. And I'll give you some thoughts on how different it would be for me. Now no. and then. Yes. Well, I mean, look, you put a million dollars in the hands of 21-year-old Hans Olsen, that could be a problem. Actually, no, I don't think you ever really were a lavish spender. No. Uh, every penny I got, I saved and I put into investments. Um, I made a good chunk of money in my seven years of professional football. I made a good chunk of money. And I put most of it into investments i told you about the only big expenditure i had i I bought one of those huge tube tvs with uh when i made the roster my my rookie year with the colts it was like a 56 inch but it weighed like 1200 oh yeah those big ones were nuts i bought one of those a 32 inch tv and one of those and it weighed like three four hundred pounds and it was only 32 inches yeah this thing was massive and i bought it for one reason and that was the third fight in the Ward Gotti trilogy. I bought it because I'm like, I had the weekend coming up. I had just gotten a, like sixteen or $17,000 paycheck for the week. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. I'm going to buy a big TV so I can watch this this fight. The only problem is you only get 16 of those. Yeah. It's not spread. A lot of people don't know that. You don't get it spread out over the year. You get you get game checks. Yeah. Now, those game checks can be really impressive, but they uh, – but that's it. After December, they go away until September of the following year. Yeah, and then you're figuring out what in the heck you're going to do. Then you go work on a paint crew. Because that, no, you, you, nowadays, rookies now are at 680,000, I think. I was at 298. I think rookies are 680 now. Now I know how my uncles felt when I was a rookie. Because when I was a rookie at 298000 As an undrafted free agent. As an undrafted free agent, my uncles, Uncle Phil, who was the number two overall pick, was like, you're making how much a year? What? I, th- I think uh, I outpaced Merlin's highest contract. Oh, my god, Merlin Olson. It's ridiculous. Those guys were like, we were born 40 years too, too, too early. Yeah. But don't worry. FTD help Merlin out. NBC and FTD took very good care of him. Yeah. Little House on the Prairie took very good care of him. Yeah, I think, I think he... I Did think he make good money on the I think on the family TV? still gets royalties on Little House. Well, no, because that means people would actually have to still watch it. Hey, dude. That was really rude. I'm really sorry. I'm joking. That that didn't come out the way I thought it would. Sorry, that, that, that didn't come out the way I meant it. Sorry. It came out exactly no, how you meant it. No, that's not how I meant it. No, I came out wrong. I'm really sorry. A lot of people still watch that. They do. There's a they love why it. it's still on TV. Exactly. That's <laughs> that's what I meant. But that's not what you meant. You, you reminded me of Will Ferrell on Old School when he tries to give the bread maker back. I gave you that bread maker for your wedding. Oh. I Like this model? No, that exact one. Oh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I hope you like that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That did not come out the way I intended it. Yeah, it did. I still watch it, and I still love it. 
Do you really still watch it? You get the kids together and still yeah, watch Rock it? Yeah, Rock loves it. Because Rock loves to see his Uncle Merlin. Now, okay, now that. Yeah. I'm just wondering if just some random family is dialing up Little House on the Prairie. Don't know. Hatch, you come across as a guy that might watch Little Little House from here to, from time to time. I watched it a lot growing up, I can tell you that much. And when I realized who your uncle was and him being on that show, it made it all the better. It's all the better. And when you realize as your kids get older how much trash there is on TV, it's like, well, maybe something wholesome. Yeah, Laura Ingalls Wilder is your best friend. I don't know, man. There's There's some stuff on there that they get a little loose on. Well, the Old West wasn't easy. Yeah. There was a lot of malaria. Who is the uh, who is the dude in the beard, the kind of the gruff guy? Well, there's Isaiah, who was Charles' best friend before Jonathan Garvey, Merlin, came in. Mr. Edwards? Yeah, I think that's who it was. Mr. Edwards was the big beard. Yeah. Thing uh, that once was a man from... Nantucket. Yeah. Yeah. Or... Yeah, anyways, used to have something like that. I don't know if that was the one. Wow. All right, 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hey, my parents made me watch it. It's good. Good and wholesome fun. You're darn right. Although, come on, can we just talk about the fact that the what Lori get married at, like, what, 13? No, she was, like, 14. And what was his? What was the husband's name? Almanzo. Almanzo. He's like twenty-seven. Manly. No, he was twenty-six. Okay, and then just a little weird. Well, maybe for the old west, not so much. Okay. We used to marry him early, Scotty. That's a fair point. All right, hands up, Scotty. <laughs> That's a fair point. I'll tell you what was shocking though was episode three. <laughs> I sent Are you, we going to go episode by episode now? I sent you a text about episode three. You know what? Maybe this, they need to do some editing. Hey, hey, uh, Jake, maybe this is your new podcast, is Hans me, me doing a Hans? podcast on uh, each episode. Pro- hey, those are all the rage right now. I know. That's what the office, they, they go through each episode, do a podcast about For, each so single episode. Friday Night Lights, they, the TV show, they just launched their podcast for like three episodes in. So, Hans, this is something to look into. And it's blowing up. Yeah. And it's like... I could do it, and I would be really good at it. I'm sure you would. And Rock would, too, because it's Rock's favorite show. Maybe you and Rock do a podcast. A father-son podcast on Little House. The lineage of Jonathan Garvey. There's some stuff that's really tough to talk about. You're right. Well, that age difference thing, yeah. Yeah. I guess it'd be a father explaining to his son how it was done in the old Western times. But, Dad, how come she's so young? Well, son, that's just how they did it in the West. The old West. All right. 1129. Good, the bad, the ugly. Coming up next right here on the Zone Sports Network.